What's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. As we anticipate former President Trump's appearance at a Georgia jail, some voters grow more fond of him. We'll tell you what a new poll shows about voters in Iowa. What to expect from the upcoming GOP primary debate and who would consider being vice president if Trump wins the nomination? A few potential VPs weigh in. Judges halt certain parts of voting laws introduced in Texas and Georgia after the 2020 election. Find out what has changed. The Biden administration is quietly selling off unused materials for the border wall, but a bill is reportedly in the works to expand construction of the wall. A Hunter Biden lawyer threatened to put President Biden on the witness stand, and he said it could be a constitutional crisis. Find out which case this was for. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, former President Trump is expected to appear at a Georgia jail this week, but this isn't sinking his popularity, according to a recent poll. Voters in Iowa appeared to grow more fond of Trump after the fourth indictment. NTD's Melina Wisecup has more. Melina, tell us about this poll. Good afternoon, Chris. So this poll was taken in Iowa, which is the first state to kick off the GOP primary election. In just around five months, voters in Iowa will head to the polls to make their pick for the GOP nominee. And it is looking like Trump is more popular in the state of Iowa. So this Iowa poll shows that Trump's lead over DeSantis grew by around five percentage points since he was indicted here in Georgia last week. Now, Trump this morning just commented on this poll, writing on Truth Social, I got the farmers $28 billion from China, the USMCA trade deal, and many others. Now, this poll shows Trump at 43 percent. DeSantis is next around 19 percent. Meanwhile, the other GOP candidates are not even in double digits. So how have the other GOP candidates responded to Trump's indictment. Well, DeSantis continues to say that this is an example of criminalization of politics. Now, as for Vivek Ramaswamy, at an event over the weekend, I asked him his comments on this uh, fourth indictment. He said this is not how he wants to win. He even accused other Republicans of trying to use this indictment as a way to get rid of Trump and actually get ahead in the race. Meanwhile, former Vice President Mike Pence continues to say the election in Georgia was not stolen, claiming he had no right to overturn the election on January 6th. And Tim Scott continues to say that this is an example of a weaponized legal system. Now, as for what we're seeing here on the ground at the Fulton County Sheriff's Office, where we've been based for the past week, is that media is uh, really anticipating this appearance by former President Trump. He and those other 18 defendants do have until uh, Friday of this week to come here and surrender. We do expect Secret Service to continue working with the district attorney's office and the sheriff's office here in Fulton County to make arrangements for how this booking and surrender process will actually play out. Chris? Thank you very much, Melina. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is responding to a leaked debate strategy memo. He told Fox News that the document doesn't belong to him. On the memo, it's not mine. I haven't read it. Um, and, and it's just, I think it's something that we, we haven't uh, uh, put off to the side. The memo in question came from the Never Back Down Political Action Committee. It suggested that the Florida governor defend former President Trump at the GOP primary debate in Wisconsin this Wednesday. It also told DeSantis to target Vivek Ramaswamy, a GOP candidate who has surged in the polls in recent months. A recent Emerson poll showed the two tied at 10% each, trailing President Trump's 56% approval rating.
South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem says she would consider becoming Trump's vice presidential running mate. Noem told Fox News last week that anyone being asked to do so should consider it as a service to the country. I think everybody should consider it. Our country is breaking right in front of our very eyes today, and everybody should be a part of putting it back on its foundation. And if President Trump is going to be back in the White House, I'd do all I can to help him be successful. Noam is a two-term governor and former four-term congresswoman. She said in another interview that she wouldn't consider running for president, citing the depth of the field and the strength of the front-runners. Many of Noam's views are close to Trump's. Meanwhile, Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley dismissed the idea of being vice president for Trump. Here's what she said. And I've said from the very beginning, I don't play for second. I've never played for second. I'm not going to start now. We have a country to save, and I'm determined to save her. It is time for a new generational leader. A morning consult poll puts Haley's approval rating at 3%. The GOP debate this Wednesday might have some competition. The New York Times reported that former President Trump will sit down with Tucker Carlson for an interview that could air on X the same time as the debate. Roger Simon, editor-at-large with the Epoch Times and director of the Presidential Roller Coaster 2024, says this was bound to happen. I spoke with him to find out why. Roger Simon, thank you for joining us again. My pleasure. It's always fun. Roger, in your recent article, you said Fox and the RNC should have seen this move by Trump and Carlson coming. Why did you say that? Oh, because it's pretty obvious. I mean, when you think about it, these two guys, what else would they do? <laughs> would they stand by and let other people get the attention? Not a chance. The other thing is that uh, both of them share something mutually, which is they're not very fond of uh, Fox anymore. Uh, uh, Tucker, obviously, because he, they fired him. And... Uh, Trump because he's been essentially manhandled by them. So uh, they share that, and why wouldn't they do this? I, I think they were kind of naive, Fox and the RNC, not to see this coming. What kind of impact do you think this move will have on the other candidates in terms of the attention they would have received? Well, I, I, look, it, it, it's fairly unpredictable, except that the other two guys, meaning Tucker and, and Trump, are, have TVQs, we could say, much higher than any of the other candidates, and people would rather watch them. So I, I, think, that, I think this is going to damage those candidates because they're going to get less attention. But frankly, they weren't, none of them were doing anything particularly exciting before, so here we are. Trump's move not to participate in this debate distances him from the Republican Party. Is this distance significant in any way? I think it, in the long range it is. I think there's a dissatisfaction in the public in the two-party system now, the way, it's, the way it's designed, because there's such big tents that uh, there's a disconnect. Like I, in the Republican Party, there's a tremendous disconnect from parts of the leadership uh, with the people that are actually they want to vote for them. And, f and so those people are fairly irritated, I think, and that's why they gravitate to Trump, among other reasons. Now, a memo from a super PAC supporting DeSantis urged him to uh, defend Trump and go after Vivek Ramaswamy. Why do you think they suggested this? It's kind of a compliment to Ramaswamy, who they're afraid will efface their own candidate. Uh, you know... <laughs> 
I, I wrote uh, Ramaswamy about this, and uh, you'll see his quote coming up on Epic Tribes, I think, in a day or so, that he responded, which was in typical fashion, I'm above that baloney, <laughs> essentially. And with Trump off the stage, how do you think this first Republican debate this Wednesday will play out? I'm not really sure. Uh, it, it really depends. I, I think that, for example, I predict that DeSantis will not go after Ramaswamy that way because it was already reported by the New York Times and made him look like a jerk, frankly. So that it, I think he will uh, concentrate on Trump, in a, but not in a defamatory way. And it, 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 except for Chris, Chris, Chris Christie, who has no fear of defaming people, it will probably be a very, uh, maybe even a boring affair, but we'll see. Roger Simon, director of the Presidential Roller Coaster 2024, thank you. Federal judges in Georgia and Texas ruling against key provisions in the state's voting laws. The laws were passed two years ago in reaction to the 2020 election. One of the provisions was a Texas law requiring mail-in voters provide the same ID number on their ballots that they used to register to vote. When the law first passed, it led to a huge number of ballot rejections. This led to a Justice Department lawsuit and a judge in Georgia temporarily ruled against penalties for people who provide food and water to voters if they are more than 150 feet from the voting building. He also blocked a provision that requires birth dates on absentee ballot envelopes. The rulings are likely to face appeal. Democrat candidates are honing in on South Carolina. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is making numerous stops there. The party is having its first primary in South Carolina on February 3rd, switching from the traditional Iowa. Here to discuss the latest in Kennedy's campaign is Epic Times reporter Jeff Lauterbach. Jeff is speaking with Kennedy today and is following his campaign in the Peach State. Jeff Lauterbach, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Jeff, what's the significance of South Carolina to Kennedy's campaign? Well, in New Hampshire and Iowa, the, the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, earlier this year uh, decided to make South Carolina the first primary. New Hampshire and Iowa, for years, that's been the tradition that uh, the caucus in one state and the primary in the other lead off the primary slash caucus season. But uh, Biden lost, uh, President Biden lost New Hampshire last time, and he wanted South Carolina. Uh, he encouraged the DNC to start the primary season with South Carolina because he won it handily. So, uh, yeah, a little uh, favoritism going on there, but uh, South Carolina is critical for the Democratic primary, and um, Kennedy knows that uh, he needs to win South Carolina. And what's Kennedy's message to voters there? Well, he's had a message since he entered the race back in April of unity. Uh, he He's refused to... He's criticized President Biden's agenda, but he hasn't criticized President Biden personally. The same with uh, President Trump. He has uh, talked about what he agrees and disagrees with President Trump on, but he doesn't go there as far as, uh, you know, personal attacks. And that his, his philosophy is to bridge the gap. He talks about continuing his father's tradition, of course, his father being Robert F. Kennedy, who was assassinated in 1968. 
he wants to continue that tradition of unifying the country. Now, Kennedy has garnered a wide range of support from voters that are, you know, Democrats, conservatives, libertarians, as well as moderates. Why this wide range support? Well, if you listen to him, he articulates his points with he, with backing up with uh, information and data, whether you agree with him or not. And he's not afraid to. Uh, he's obviously known for his stances against the uh, safety and mandates for COVID vaccines. So that appeals to Republicans. It's interesting because I was at a town hall in Florence, South Carolina yesterday. I talked to three people. One was a 29-year-old woman who worked on the Trump campaign back in 2020 in South Carolina, and now she's volunteering for RFK Jr. And I talked to a man who was a Biden voter back in 2020 in South Carolina who's voting for RFK. Now, Jeff, the DNC has threatened to sanction New Hampshire over the order in which states vote in the primaries. Um, can you explain that conflict to us and how the outcome of that conflict could affect Kennedy's primary results? Well, the DNC voted to have South Carolina lead off the primary season. Iowa and uh, New Hampshire, the Democratic leaders in that state, so far have refused. They say they're going to have the primary as planned because it's state law that they have their primary then. And so they're not uh, concerned. They say they're not concerned about sanctions. I think I'm not sure about the deadline for Iowa, but the DNC set September 1st as the deadline for New Hampshire. Uh, at this point, they say they're going to hold the Democratic primary as planned, but President Biden likely won't be on the ballot in Iowa and New Hampshire if that takes place. And so that opens the door for RFK Jr. to win there in those uh, primary. Uh, one's a caucus, one's a primary. So it opens the door for RFK Jr. to win there. All right. Epic Times reporter Jeff Lauterbach, thank you. Thank you. Hunter Biden's lawyers once said they would have his president dad take the witness stand in defense of his son. The statement referred to Hunter's gun charges. The statement was found in documents obtained by Politico. It was in a 32-page letter that Hunter's former attorney, Chris Clark, sent to prosecutors. Hunter faces charges for purchasing a gun while being addicted to cocaine. It appears that Clark was attempting to use the threat of President Biden's testimony to keep the Justice Department from prosecuting Hunter. He sent the letter just after news leaked that the Justice Department had enough evidence to indict Hunter. And he said if the president gave testimony, it would result in a constitutional crisis. Clark left Hunter's defense team last week. It's not clear if his departure is related to the document leak. Coming up, considerable damage in Southern California as Tropical Storm Hillary brought flash flooding and mudslides to the region. And president Biden is heading to Maui to inspect damage in Lahaina. He's also assigning a FEMA official to coordinate recovery efforts. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Tropical storm Hillary dumping record amounts of rainfall across Southern California yesterday. 
The National Weather Service said Los Angeles and Ventura counties saw considerable damage Sunday night amid reports of life-threatening flash flooding and rock and mud slides. Los Angeles County Sheriff Rob Luna spoke to reporters this morning. We are getting uh, wide reports of flooding uh, throughout the county of Los Angeles. Yes, thank God that our 911 system uh, throughout the county, as far as we know now, has been uh, fully operational. And so there are no interruptions where community members cannot call in and ask for the assistance they may need. Sheriff Luna said the amount of rain in a short period created many challenges, but he said early this morning that it looks like the pl planning and training paid off. President Biden is traveling to fire-ravaged Maui. He and First Lady Jill Biden plan to take an aerial tour of the island and see the damage firsthand at the historic town of Lahaina. Biden is also set to meet with survivors, first responders, and other officials. He's assigning FEMA official Bob Fenton to coordinate a long-term federal response. Fenton has been on the ground since the fires began earlier this month. The White House says Hawaii Governor Josh Green has assured that this trip won't interfere with the ongoing recovery efforts. Crews are still combing through debris as hundreds of people remain unaccounted for. And just as the deadly fires on Maui caused widespread destruction, the island is bracing itself for more challenges. Tropical cyclone Fernanda could possibly bring heavy rain, flooding, and mudslides to the island. Workers are putting in added protection around storm drains in Lahaina, the town most severely hit by the wildfires. Boons have been set up by the U.S. Coast Guard across the island to prevent any hazardous materials from impacting the environment. To help with the wildfire recovery, 700 emergency personnel have been sent to Maui by the Pentagon. The emergency personnel are helping with transportation of cargo, personnel, supplies, as well as equipment. Over 1,000 federal responders are currently on the island, including over 300 for search and rescue, along with canine squad members. Nearly 6,000 survivors have registered for federal assistance so far. FEMA has warned that its disaster funds could dry up within weeks and delay federal response to natural disasters. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration says there were 15 weather-related disaster events this year before August 8th, with each causing more than $1 billion in damage. That total doesn't include the recent wildfires on Maui, which caused an estimated $6 billion in damage to the Lahaina area. And the peak of hurricane season is not until mid-September. President Biden recently asked Congress for $12 billion in funding to replenish FEMA's disaster fund. FEMA Administrator Deanne Criswell said even that money may not be enough and would only, come, would only cover some of the immediate needs to get through this fiscal year. Border wall components are on the selling block. Reports say the Pentagon is quietly selling off millions of dollars in building materials. That's to make good on Biden's pledge to halt former President Trump's signature project. Multiple outlets report that DOD's logistics agency is auctioning off border wall materials. The sales reportedly took place on GovPlanet, an online auction house specializing in military surplus. Since April, the website sold 81 lots of steel square structural tubes for about $2 million. 13 more lots will come up this and next Wednesday. Steel tubes like these were meant for panels in Trump's U.S.-Mexico border wall. The former president spent $15 billion on the project to ward off illegal border crossings. During his presidency, 450 miles were built, 
with another 250 miles in the works. Biden called off construction immediately upon taking office, despite paying hefty storage fees for unused wall parts. The actions came after a bill called the Finish It Act cleared the Senate. Legislation would force the materials to be used for border wall construction. That's as unprecedented numbers of illegal immigrants swamp the borders and make their way into cities like New York. Senator Tom Cotton, co-sponsor of the Finish It Act, condemned what he called a fire sale. He told the New York Post that the Biden administration is leaving the border open to terrorists while selling border security materials at a loss. It's unclear how much money from the sales went into the Pentagon's budget. According to the New York Post, citing a lieutenant colonel, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has disposed of over $150 million worth of border wall materials. That's over half of a total stockpile worth about $260 million. New York Mayor Eric Adams has said he wants to turn the city's unused office space into migrant housing. Adams says this proposal could generate around 20,000 new homes. He added that building owners would need help with cutting through the red tape. Plans include rezoning 42 blocks of Midtown South in the Manhattan District and is part of the $24 billion pledge the city has made to create affordable housing. The move comes after another proposal by Adams last week to house illegal immigrants in shuttered prisons. Adams sent a letter on August 9th to State Governor Kathy Hochul suggesting the now-defunct Metropolitan Correctional Center could serve as shelter to cope with the city's illegal immigrant crisis. MCC was closed in 2021 following reports of unsafe conditions and multiple security breaches. The state has committed over $1 billion in resources for the city to deal with the increasing number of illegal immigrants. After the break, a rural North Carolina hospital becomes the 11th rural hospital to shut down this year. Find out why. An American Airlines sues online travel agency Skiplagged. The airline says the agency is deceiving customers. We'll have the details soon when we return. Thanks for staying with us. A rural hospital in North Carolina has closed, leaving locals concerned about access to health care services. It lost $13 million last year. Martin General Hospital is the 11th rural hospital to shut down or alter its services this year. Martin County resident Alonzo Brown says the area is filled with retirees that everyone is upset about the closure. The hospital says residents are using other hospitals and the population is declining. That's according to a press release obtained by Fox News. The hospital couldn't find any health providers to take over the facilities and says the county also wouldn't buy it. Researcher Mark Holmes says hospital closures picked up during the pandemic and recently have picked up again. The National Rural Hospital Association says these hospitals are often the largest employers in their communities. COVID-19 may contribute to high blood pressure. New research has found a correlation in patients. Scientists looked at thousands of COVID-19 patients from 2020 to 2022. All of them were from the Bronx borough of New York City. None of them had a history of hypertension before the infection, but six months after their illness, some of them did. About 20% of people who were hospitalized with COVID developed high blood pressure, 
And about 10% of the patients who were diagnosed with COVID but not hospitalized also did. The hospitalized patients were twice as likely to develop high blood pressure than those who were hospitalized for the flu. Scientists are unsure how COVID might trigger hypertension. The study was published today in the medical journal Hypertension. Mortgage rates have soared over 7%, and a less-than-affordable housing market could be getting even more expensive. Here to discuss is my friend and colleague, NTD Business's Don Ma. Don, what's happening in the housing market? Chris, mortgage rates now are, high, are the highest they've been in 21 years. Uh, this is according to Freddie Mac. And it seems like home buyers are facing increasing costs. Uh, some housing experts are even warning that rates could keep climbing toward 8%. Think about that. That's, that's extremely high. So we can't assume right now that just because inflation has moved in the right direction, that mortgage rates will go down right away, right? The, the Fed's rates are still high. Inventory is constrained and prices are still elevated. These three things are putting a lot of pressure still on the housing uh, on the housing sector. What's the impact of all this, Don? Chris, as rates for a fixed rate 30-year mortgage have surged, the payments uh, made by a home buyer of a medium price home who put down let's say 20% um, has risen more than $1,200 a month. Think about that, $1,200. This has pushed buying a home out of reach for many people. Buyers who are still in the market are seeing low available inventory because mortgage rates uh, were so low during the pandemic with people buying or refinancing into loans at 2% or 3%. There's very, there's very little incentive for them to sell and buy another home at, at, at the current rates now, which are 6 or 7% or even higher. And as well, due to the low inventory, prices are staying elevated. Median home prices hit their second highest level on record in June at $410,200. So, you know, there, there's a lot of factors here. Tell us about the outlook for the housing market in the near future. Okay, so here's what you need to know, Chris. Um, minutes from the last Fed meeting showed continued concerns about inflation and it's suggesting that another rate hike may be on the table this year. Um, so that, along with Fitch's downgrade of U.S. debt, if you remember that, this is putting upward pressure on longer-term borrowing rates. This week, uh, the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasuries rose over 4.2%, which is the highest level in over a decade. So are we going to see the 10-year go up to 5%? Now, if we do, mortgage rates may rise to 8%. Um, you may be wondering, why is that? Because mortgage rates have a relationship with the 10-year treasury. So if the 10-year moves, uh, moves, so will mortgage rates. Now, at the current uh, average mortgage rate of 7.09%, a buyer of a medium-priced $410,200 home will pay over $2,000 a month in principal and interest. How did we get here? Fed officials hiked interest rates uh, to the highest level in 22 years. Uh, we all know this. Now, the Fed does not set the interest rates that borrowers pay on mortgage rates directly, but its actions influence them. Uh, mortgage rates tend to track the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasuries, uh, as I mentioned earlier. 
The 10-year moves based on a combination of anticipation about the Fed's actions and investors' reactions. When Treasury yields go up, so do mortgage rates. Uh, but I think there, there could be good news, uh, which is that the 10-year yield will have to come down eventually and the Fed will have to cut rates. And when that happens, we could see mortgage rates come down. But the question is when that will happen. All right. Thank you, Don. Thank you. American Airlines has filed a lawsuit against online travel agencies Skiplagged. It alleges the firm engages in misrepresentation while selling airline tickets. The lawsuit says New York-based Skiplagged enticed consumers to participate in deceptive air ticket practices by promising savings. Skiplagging is when travelers book flights that include a layover and exit at the layover airport instead of the final destination. Though skip-lagging is not illegal, airline companies insist that it violates their policies. Travelers can save money through skip-lagging, but it tends to be costly for airlines. American Airlines asked the court to prohibit skip-lagged from selling or reselling American Airlines flight tickets. Skip-lagged was sued once before. It settled with United Airlines and an online travel agency that accused the website's founder of trying to sell prohibited forms of travel. Last month, it was reported that American Airlines barred a teenager from flying with the airline for three years for planning to use a skip-lagging ticket. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Still to come, Russia and China are looking to advance their agendas at the upcoming BRICS summit. What can we expect from the meeting? And Japanese mothers are testing Fukushima seawater. The group is concerned about radiation ahead of the government's planned release. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Trump's latest indictment seems to have helped his standings. A new poll shows him with a sizable lead in Iowa. Judges in Georgia and Texas ruled against key provisions in the two states' voting laws passed after the 2020 election. One of those in Texas required voters who mail in their ballots to provide the same ID as when they register to vote. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem says she would consider becoming Trump's vice presidential running mate, while Republican candidate Nikki Haley dismissed the idea, saying she isn't playing for second. The Biden administration is selling off Trump's border wall. Construction materials appeared on an auction site. That's before Congress could pass a bill mandating they be used to extend the wall. Expansion of the BRICS group is a likely focus at a summit in South Africa this week. That's as the bloc looks to challenge the West for geopolitical dominance. Here's a preview. Leaders of countries that account for more than a quarter of the global economy are set to meet in South Africa. Up for discussion at the BRICS summit starting on August 22nd, how to turn this loose club of nations into a geopolitical force capable of challenging the West's dominance in global affairs. BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. The leaders of those countries will be in physical attendance, with one notable exception. 
That's Russian President Vladimir Putin, who faces an international arrest warrant over alleged war crimes in Ukraine, though he is expected to attend virtually. Few details have emerged about what BRICS leaders plan to discuss. However, expansion is expected to be high on the agenda. Some 40 nations have shown an interest in joining, either formally or informally, officials have said, including Saudi Arabia, Argentina and Egypt. However, there could be tensions. China wants to enlarge BRICS quickly as it tussles with the United States for geopolitical influence. Brazil is resisting fearing the already unwieldy club could see its stature diluted. Russia is keen to bring in new members as it seeks friends amid its diplomatic isolation over Ukraine. Its most important African ally, South Africa, is on the same page. India is on the fence. What unites the bloc, though, is skepticism about a world order they see as serving the interests of the United States and its rich country allies. BRICS nations are keen to project themselves as alternative development partners to the West. The bloc's new development bank wants to de-dollarize finance and offer an alternative to the IMF and the World Bank. However, it's only approved $33 billion of loans in nearly a decade. That's about a third of the amount the World Bank committed to disbursing just last year. The NDB has also been hobbled by sanctions on Russia. South African officials say talk of a BRICS currency, mooted by Brazil earlier this year as an alternative to dollar dependence, is off the table. Nevertheless, South Africa's foreign minister, Nalendi Pandor, has said BRICS wants to show leadership, particularly in terms of the development and inclusion of the global south in multilateral systems. The theme of the Johannesburg summit is BRICS and Africa. That emphasizes how the bloc can build ties on a continent increasingly becoming a theater for competition between world powers. Officials in Brazil, China and South Africa said climate change may come up at the summit, but indicated it wouldn't be a priority. Mothers in Japan are organizing tests of Fukushima seawater despite having no scientific background. They're concerned about radiation, though authorities in Japan and the UN promise the water is safe. From a job cooking school lunches to lugging jerry cans of Fukushima seawater for radiation tests, Ai Kimura has no background in science. However, after the Fukushima nuclear disaster in 2011, she and a group of other women began to help test the city's water and food. And they fear that Japan's preparations this summer to release more than 1 million tons of treated radioactive water in the sea nearby could stir up anxiety reminiscent of the tragedy 12 years ago. The nonprofit workers call themselves Tarachine, which means mother in traditional Japanese poetry. Most of them are indeed local moms who were taught by doctors and scientists to measure radiation. Kimura serves as secretary general of the group. It's clear that little by little the level of radiation is falling, as 12 years have passed. Our measurements have confirmed that the amount of radioactive material is lower now than it was 12 years ago. Kimura lost her job making school lunches after the disaster. She joined the group in 2014 and learned to measure radiation in the hopes of protecting her daughters, who were teenagers then. 
There are no walls in the sea, so once you release the treated water, it will probably continue to be released for decades or even centuries until the field debris from the Fukushima plant is removed and you can't take the treated water back. The government and an international nuclear regulator say the plan to release the water is safe, but it has alarmed neighbors and Asia's fishing industry. Authorities say the water has been filtered to remove most radioactive elements, except for one called tritium, which is hard to separate from water. But the treated water will be diluted to well below internationally approved levels of tritium before being released into the Pacific Ocean. When the water is released, we will keep on providing data so that fathers and mothers can decide for themselves and children can also decide when they grow up whether to eat Fukushima fish or not or whether to go swimming in the sea or not. Kimura says what the mothers want is more dialogue between officials and plant operator Tokyo Electric Power on one side and fishermen and citizens on the other over not only safety but also the release's psychological impact. Japan has not yet said when they will release the water. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida reassured the country's fishing industry about the water today. He said the Fukushima release will be safe and the government would take full responsibility. Coming up, New York City beachgoers are on alert for shark attacks after a recent attack. A researcher says there have been unusual shark movement patterns recently. Details to come on NTD News Today. Back to the news. New York residents and lifeguards are on high alert after a shark attack at Rockaway Beach, which left a woman hospitalized. A field scientist says such attacks are extremely rare, but that the pattern may be changing. When New York City heats up, residents head to the city's many beaches to cool off. But this summer, they're eyeing the waves with renewed wariness after the city saw its first shark attack in decades. I'm kind of scared, really, for my kids. But they, she likes the beach. They like the beach. So I try to, you know, let them wet their feet. But now it's really scary. So just got to be careful and stay out of the water. Police at Rockaway Beach in Queens are using drones to monitor the waters. This is set to continue seven days a week from dawn until dusk until the end of summer. Lifeguards, too, are on high alert. I see the drones, I hear them, and I see the helicopters. So, I mean, they're, they're doing their, their jobs, you know. The surveillance is full on after a shark attack reportedly left a 65-year-old woman in serious but stable condition. It was an extremely rare encounter, says Hans Walters, a field scientist with the Wildlife Conservation Society. Well, shark attacks, shark incidents, shark encounters in general are rare. The ones where people are injured to that extent are the rarest of the rare. As a matter of fact, this is the first shark attack incident encounter period in New York City in over 60 years. But Walters studies the movement and pattern of sharks and says that those patterns may be changing. There were eight encounters with sharks in 2022 in New York waters, not the city, but out in Long Island. 
And then around 4th of July, there were five already this year. And that is unusual because prior to that, there were only a dozen. So, but what, what is the reason for it? We don't know. Some marine experts have suggested that sharks have moved closer to shore in recent years because a warmer ocean has brought their prey into shallower waters. Walters says more research is needed. We don't know if there are certain drivers or what those drivers are. It's going to be up to us as scientists, meaning the Wildlife Conservation Society and our various research partners in academia and otherwise in New, in New York to sort of see if we can tease this out. Some New York residents remain unfazed by the recent trend. It will not stop me from going in the water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't let, you know, one incident like deter you from having a beautiful day on the beach. But Walters says having situational awareness is key which means staying out of the water if you see surface disturbances and diving seagulls. He says ultimately, sharks follow their fish of choice. When they move on, the sharks and the other predators will move with them. Then it's safe to go in because no one, no shark is targeting us. We're not on the menu. Growing a small herb garden at home is possible for just about anyone. NTD's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body has some tips on how to get started. Fresh herbs make everything better. From mint, rosemary and basil on a kitchen windowsill to a backyard filled with savory flavorings and medicinals. Most herbs will grow just about anywhere as long as they get a minimum of six hours of sunlight each day. Options abound, whether it be in a large backyard or on a small patio, apartment balcony or a windowsill. If you want a lot of plants, seeds are the most cost-effective option. For just a few herbs, starter plants from the local garden centre provide instant gratification. Choose herbs that you will actually use. Some of the best herbs for beginners are also the most popular in the kitchen. These include basil, thyme, oregano, sage, parsley, chives, mint and rosemary. These are all notoriously difficult to grow from seed and take a long time to germinate, so buy a small plant. Herbs will grow well indoors, especially when you plant them in the right soil. They're not fans of rich soil, so save your prized compost mix for flowers, fruits and vegetables. For indoor plantings, the best bet is a quality potting mix for herbs. The most important factor when it comes to soil for herbs is that it drains well. Choose a pot with a large drainage hole and line it with a coffee filter. This will help to keep the soil in and prevent any water from building up in the bottom of the pot. Situate herbs where they will get six to eight hours of direct sunlight daily. Aim for a southern facing window and they will thrive. If that's not possible, an east or west facing window will do. Temperature is another consideration when placing plants indoors. Herbs are happiest at 70 degrees Fahrenheit. As with indoor herbs, outdoor plantings are all about location. Plant in spots with more than six to eight hours of sunlight per day. Opt for morning sun and afternoon shade. This will help them get through the high heat months of summer. And our last tip, herbs absolutely positively do not like wet feet conditions. This inhibits plant growth and encourages fungal diseases. Today we take a moment to honor our elders. It's National Senior Citizens Day and an opportunity to appreciate seniors' accomplishments and the influence of their lives. President Ronald Reagan in 1988 made the day official with a proclamation. 
A recent census count shows there are 47 million seniors living in the U.S. If you're looking to brighten a senior's day, now could be the time to call an older relative, bring a treat or gift, or volunteer at a retirement home. For seniors, this weekend might bring some discounts and promotions at stores and restaurants where you live. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.